people who are against automation say, I don't like automation because I lose that, that relationship with my, with my clients. I would flip that and say, if I can automate eight of the 10 tasks that need to be done, that means that I have eight tasks less that I have to do, which means I have more time to build the relationships. My personal opinion is if you're not doing virtual assistants and automation, you're, you're, you're a dinosaur and you're gonna get extinct. Hello, professional property managers. Andrew Smallwood here, host of the Triple Win Podcast. Very excited for this episode today with Pete Newbig. And uh, let me give a little introduction of Pete, but you'll get to know him a little bit as we have our conversation today. If you're not familiar with Pete through NARPM or otherwise, uh, he's the former co-founder of Empire Industries Realty and Property Management based in Houston, Texas. And he sold his company to Mind MYND Management, and he became the vice president of Eastern Operations as a part of the sale of that business. Uh, Pete is currently the co-founder and CEO of VPM Solutions. And VPM Solutions is an online platform that connects the real estate industry with virtual team members across the globe. I'm sure we'll touch on that today. But I, first off, I just want to say welcome to Triple Win Podcast, Pete. It was great to be on uh, NARPM Radio with you yesterday and just and just having conversations with you from Kansas City to today. It's good to get to know you better. Andrew, thank you for having me on the Triple Win podcast. And uh, we've known each other for a while from afar. Got to know you a little bit in Kansas City and over the last couple of weeks. So I'm um, looking forward to uh, doing a great show for uh, for the listeners. Absolutely. One thing I love about you, Pete, is you're a straight shooter you call it like you see it and i know people people really appreciate the, appreciate that kind of candor and you've got tremendous expertise you're respected by so many of our mutual friends it's just a great operator uh and uh it, it's just great to have people like you willing to share their their wisdom willing to share the lessons wisdom insight stories all of that uh so grateful to have you here today i want to uh to dive right in i, I want to talk about What's your point of view, Pete, on the biggest challenges that are facing property management companies and the leaders of the property management industry today? Yeah, I've, I've boiled it down to a handful of major challenges. I'm sure there's more than these, but the biggest ones that I faced at Empire was, um, the first one was payroll. So as we were growing, if you're a growing business, um, we're a service-based industry and most service-based industries, as they grow, so does payroll. And what we found was that as our revenue continued to grow, um, so did our expenses, mainly in the form of payroll, number one, expense. Where um, the second challenge that, that I saw was the stress level on your team members. So as you grow, now more business comes in and for a property management company to be successful, to be profitable, they have to manage, they have to keep their team stressed, right? So for, uh, for Empire to make, to make profit, I literally had to manage, you know, so many more homes than I had people, right? And so when I, when, 
when I would hire somebody, I would literally go into the red sometimes, right? And this is a challenge for property manager companies where the team is so stressed, you don't want to lose them, right? So then you hire somebody and now you're in the red and now you have to go grow the business to get, to get back in the black to, to be profitable again. Now, when you have the stress level on your team because you're trying to make a profit, um, then what happens is communication to your residents and your owners goes down the tubes. And the number one reason why we lose clients, uh, investor clients, is because of lack of communication. And the reason why most residents don't renew their lease is typically because of lack of communication, right? You can say, well, it's maintenance. Well, it's not really the maintenance. It's the lack of communication regarding the maintenance. And we all mean well, we all want to communicate and we try to do that through technology. But at the end of the day, if the team is too stressed, there's too much going on, the lack of communication happens, which then now you have, now you reduce and churn and now you have to go get more of those properties, replace them, right? And when you churn, when you have a move out or a move, you know, a move out, a move in and an owner leaving, that actually um, puts more pressure on the business. Because that's when a lot of things have to happen, right? Somebody moves out, you got to do the turn, then you have to, you know, put it on the market. You have to go get it. You have to show it. You have to get it leased up. Um, and then, of course, when an owner leaves, you got to do all the accounting on the back end. And they're never happy when they leave because there's no communication. And um, all this leads to the final challenge that I saw was, as an industry, we are reactive. Like I know of people have to manage that don't do anything until the email bings or the phone rings. We're, we're almost like, it's almost like we're predetermined to just sit there and be reactive. If you have a free day, it's like, oh my goodness, I have a free day. I'm just going to wait <laughs> for the next thing to break. Um, and so when you're a reactive company, you don't build the relationships that we all so crave, right? And so if I'm not building relationships and I have lack of communication and or something happens, because we're always going to make a mistake, it's going to happen. But if you don't have that you know, that communication with the, I'm sorry, that, you know, that um, feel good with the owner, if you don't have that relationship, um, you're going to lose, you're going to lose that client. And so one little mishap and all of a sudden you lost the client and it wasn't, maybe that was the final straw because of the lack of communication. So those are the challenges uh, that we had. Now, if you're a company that's not growing, you've been in business for 20 years and you grow 10 doors a year and lose 10 doors a year, you're not going to have those type of challenges. But if you are a company that's looking to grow 10, 20, 30 doors a month, um, these are challenges that you're going to have, right? I know some people they've had 20, they've had 20 years, had the same people with them for 20 years. Okay. You're probably not going to have these same challenges. You probably have, you probably, you have different challenges by the way, because your, your people are probably resistant to change and, and there's some other big challenges there. But in a, in an, in a industry where we're all trying to, in most of us, the ones that are trying to grow, these are the issues that, that I'm seeing. And I saw firsthand when I was at Empire. Hmm. You know, I love what you shared there. And we talk about this. We've talked about this in many previous episodes, Pete, in events that we've done of property managers are constantly responding to, you know, putting out fires, handling issues, conflicts. And there's so much, um, there's so many events in property management, like a move in, like conducting, moving through a renewal process, uh, like moving through a maintenance process, et cetera, that are, it's not one, two steps and uh, just, you know, <laughs> a few seconds to move through those kind of things that are involved. 
it's one of the most intensive businesses to be in. If I, I go look at like my local, you know, sandwich shop or Smoothie King or whatever it is, they have like three processes. We literally have like three or four businesses in one business, right? We're a maintenance business, we're a real estate business, we're a property management business. You know, we have all these businesses and each one of those has all these different processes that you have to have. All these things have to be done. And one little thing that you miss, it all of a sudden creates chaos, Right? That's right. How many, how many times did you hear like somebody like forgot to bring a key to a house, right? <laughs> and all of a sudden chaos ensues. It's like one little thing. You're supposed to bring the key to your house. I, I, I loved, I wanted to call out something that you said that I, I really struck me as an important point, which is that so often right now we're hearing from a lot of property management companies about how hard it is to retain talent. You know, there's this great resignation that people are talking about and how I think it was like 4.4 million people left their jobs last, I think it was last month or maybe it was September. It was the most in history, right? And people are seeing, you know, employee churn. They're seeing investor churn, which you talked about, hey, proactive communication and you know, the resident churn, maybe less with COVID and just the housing environment. Uh, but but that can happen too with with poor communication, et cetera, everything else. Uh, it, it's kind of like a triple L, uh, <laughs> if you will. And, and it, people get on this like negative cycle, right? Where it's like, oh, the business gets tighter, and then it's harder to make that investment to improve the bandwidth of folks so that they're less stressed and can do the things that are going to generate the activities that build the business, right? Uh, and move things in a positive direction. So, you know. We've got ideas and solutions for this, but I'd love to hear what are the strategies you're seeing working for property managers to turn that around and start to get things going in a positive direction without putting their business at risk and taking, you know, too big of a, a dip into the red, trying to make an investment to build a profitable business. Yeah. Um, I think there's two solutions that I'm seeing. One is that more and more people are going to virtual team members uh, outside the borders of the U.S., and then the second is going into some kind of uh, automation solution. So it was interesting because pre-COVID, I started seeing um, less people were interested in working for the rate that I can pay them. Right. So I so only, even pre-COVID, I started seeing like, okay, I'm getting I'm getting people who want forty thousand dollars a year to do something that's really like a $10 an hour job, right? And, but you can't really afford the 40,000, but you can't find anybody to do the $10 an hour job. And once COVID hit, after COVID, I saw this exponentially go up. People don't wanna work. They don't wanna go to an office. They wanna work from home. Um, they want more money than ever before. And, and so I'm seeing, I'm seeing this is a pandemic for our industry, because we are, we're small businesses, right? Most of us are small businesses. And so it's hard for us to hire one person at $40,000 a year to file papers or, you know, get electronic documents signed or, or you know, do follow-up phone calls. These are things that can be done from anywhere for a lot lower cost. And um, I'll tell you a funny story. 
Well, it wasn't funny at the time, but it ended up being the whole basis of why I created VPM. So I had this lady named Sharon working for me in the front office and she was an angry lady. So right there, you know, I put the wrong person in the wrong seat because the front office person is supposed to be like super happy. Right. Um, And so I'm like, man, she's angry. I'm like, she'd be perfect for a maintenance coordinator. I, I can move her. I need angry people to be maintenance coordinators. Right? I think I'd be angry with residents and with the vendors. I'm like, she'll be perfect. So I said, Sharon, <laughs> it's your lucky day. I'm going to give you a promotion. So I gave her more money. Now, Sharon didn't have a, a college degree, never went to school, you know, never went to uh, any kind of university, got a GED or, or just maybe a high school diploma. Right. So I gave Sharon like a, a $5,000 a year raise, which I thought was great. Within two weeks, she comes back to me and says, I need more money. This is too hard. Meanwhile, now she was probably right because she was she, at the time I was managing properties and she was my my maintenance coordinator, is my assistant. So she probably did need hazard pay for that, um, just to be like my. Assistant. <laughs> but so what I what I realized is one, she wasn't even doing a really good job. Now, of course, there was some training that needed to be done, but she was already super angry, and now she's getting angry at me, right? But she was just a she was not a good fit for our culture and she was not in the right seat. And so that's when I decided, I said, Sharon, you just, I'm sorry, but your job just got moved to, um, to virtual assistant land. And I hired three people for the price of one Sharon. And those people all had college degrees. They were, they all were from, uh, we hired them in Mexico because we're in Houston and Spanish is a, is a second language. So they were bilingual. And they, here's the most important thing. They were appreciative of the opportunity that they were getting. Whereas when I'm finding people for the low, lower wages here in the States, it's, it's not that I can't even get them to work. I, I can't even, I can't get them here half the time. Their, their external influences come into my office. Who, who's got a baby mama drama and it comes into my office, um, but they're not appreciative. These folks, bilingual, college degree, and appreciative. And more importantly, um, my, my employee churn, churn reduced because they were happy. And I was able to, uh, to pay them a fair wage for where they lived, but it was, you know, it was a third cheaper. So uh, it, it was just, a, it was just an, for me, that was a BFO or blinding flight of the, of the blinding flash of the obvious for me, Andrew, was... Like, okay, this, this makes a lot of sense. So at first I thought they could only be assistants. What was my mindset? Well, then I opened it up saying they can be more than assistants. So, so Pete, it sounds like, Hey, you had Sharon. It was the, the, you know, right person in the wrong seat or the wrong person in the wrong seat. It wasn't working out. And, you know, you made this leap into trying a different approach to talent. And ultimately you went with three folks uh, which probably gives you a whole new level of capacity to handle a totally different volume uh, of, of issues, which makes the job more manageable for those folks. They can be more proactive. They can handle things faster and better. And more importantly, you were talking a little bit about how it was a better long-term fit in the job because of where their expectations were and what kind of value this job you know, provided to them based on the options available to them. Am I hearing that right? Yeah, and I'm gonna bring it into the triple win here because you're, you're exactly right. So having more people for the same amount of one person, you can do more tasks, you can get more stuff done. What we found was that the virtual assistants 
can handle more than we anticipated. We thought that we had to like every day feed them like a few tasks here, go knock it out and come back for more. What we realized was they can actually handle a whole process from end to end. I had a move-in coordinator, a move-out coordinator, maintenance coordinator, et cetera. What this allowed was our big time people that we paid the most, the property managers, to get out of the $10 an hour job and do what we call from the neck up thinking, right? The, the neck up where they can think. Now, what they're doing is they're managing reports, they're looking for what we call taps, and they are able to build those, build those relationships. Because these low level tasks are being done by more people, <clears throat> more tasks are getting done, which means that you can have better communication. So for the triple win, you have better communication and things are getting done more efficiently for your resident, which now they're happier. If the resident is happy, then they most likely will resign the lease, right? They'll pay, they'll resign the lease, which obviously is a win for the owner. But on the other side, your, your owner client, now they're getting answers to questions. Now they're getting that one-on-one -on -one time with the property manager. And the property manager now can have a level of authority that they never have. I always call property managers gophers. Hey, property manager, go for this, go for that. Like, like property managers should be more like, um, <clears throat> almost like attorneys to me, or they should be like, um, like your money guy. Like you should talk to me about your property manager. I'm not like a gopher. I'm not the, but, but because we've been doing the $10 tasks, we have this stigma that we're gophers. Where my people now, they're having meaningful conversations and now that is a benefit because who, who knows the market? The property manager knows the market better than the, uh, you know, the investor in, in most times. And so we were able to bring the triple win to, uh, for our owner and our resident client and for the property management, the property management company, because now we're making more money because we're capturing some more of these, reducing churn and capturing some opportunities to make some more revenue in, in a form of buys and sales. Now, as far as what the mindset on what, are, what we think a virtual assistant can do, I am in the belief that you can actually hire a virtual assistant to be your CFO. That's how far I think this could go. I don't think it'd be your CEO, but I think that we can actually have them. So my virtual assistants were not only just VAs, but I actually had supervisors. And then I actually had one of my VAs be a, a virtual assistant or a virtual team member, be a supervisor to people in the States. And now I believe we can get them to that middle management. And I think they can actually go to upper management. I really do. Now, are you going to be paying the $8 an hour? Probably not. You're probably going to be paying you know, a whopping $15 an hour for a guy equivalent to a $70,000 or, or a six-figure job. But that's where I think we can go. And I think that mindset has to change for, for us as employers. So is it really, Pete, just the field team, the boots on the ground, et cetera, the people actually executing, you know, move-ins, et cetera, on site. Is that really the piece of property management that you see needs to stay locally based? Like what, I guess, what do you see as being the kind of thing that stays local uh, versus, you know, being, being global or distributed? Right now, I would say if you, uh, if you have to go to a property or you need a license to do it, it needs to be either local or somebody a licensee. I truly believe that it can be virtual. Um, when I ran Empire Property Management in Houston, I had people in Fort Worth in Dallas managing Houston properties. Um, my property managers never left the house. 
or the office. Um, and so we were already doing remote management. It's just that we were in, in Houston um, instead of in Mexico or the Philippines. So I believe it's here. Um, I'm sure there are a lot of business owners that are nervous about that. For me, I always felt that my management team should be stateside, but I'm actually, my mindset's changing on that now, as we just, as we just spoke about. That's great. And, and then I'd love to ask you a little bit about for people who are interviewing global talent, right. And what they're looking for and finding that right. You, you know, you talked about earlier having the wrong person in the wrong seat and you've got a better idea now from your experience of who you're looking for, you know, what are a couple tips you would give the audience for the typical kinds of positions and property management and what you've learned about really to look for in candidates that are going to excel at those different levels that you were talking about? Yeah, that's a great question, Andrew. So I don't think it's much different than hiring somebody stateside. I really don't. So the first thing is, you know, you have to get the right person on the bus, core values. When you're, when you're interviewing somebody, do they embody the core values that you, that you want in your company, right? They're on the right bus. If they pass that, the next thing for me was um, you have to have a job role and the job role cannot be very uh, wishy-washy, right? It has to be, it has to be super detailed, right? The, uh, the more obtuse the job role is, the less chance you can have anybody to, to be successful. Because if you run a, a job role that you're not really sure what, what they're supposed to do, how do they know what they're supposed to do? So you have to have a job role that's very detailed. And then that job role, you should have a personality profile attached to it. I'm a big disc guy. So I would say, okay, this person, this profile is a high C, low S. And to make sure that you put them in the right seat, I would give a personality profile and make sure that they match with the job role, right? So now you have the right person based on your core values. You have them in the right seat based on your personality profile. Now, how do you know they're going to do a good job? I'm a big fan of the one minute manager book by, I think Blanchard is the person's last name who wrote the author's last name. And he basically talks about if you do all the training up front, you give them the measurables and then you just kind of manage them. Right. So um, it's delegate, not abdicate. Meaning I'm going to, I'm going to train you. I'm going to kind of work through with you. I'm going to spend a lot of time with you up front. So I'm a big believer in spending a lot of time in training your virtual assistant, um, for me, um, the leasing renewal specialist was like an hour a day for like three weeks. My maintenance team was like two hours a day for like three months. So it just matters how in-depth the, the role is going to be. Um, when you train them, you spend time, you have them build the policy procedure manual, right? Or actually you build the policies, they build the process manual. They can change the process. They can't change the policy. And then you have key performance indicators or metrics or measurables, if you're not sure what they should be, that's on you. That's your job. You have to build a job role and know what the measurable are, are, are going to be. Once they are in, once they're the right core, you know, the right um, core values, and they have the right disposition, personality, and then they know what the job role is, and then they know what the measurables are, now you're just having a weekly meeting with them. And right there is how you can be successful. Um, my big, one of the things I did not do was, doing Zoom meetings with them, recording the Zoom meetings, and then letting them rewatch the Zoom meetings and build a process manual. They had to remember it all from our two-hour meetings, which was not smart on my part. So I would highly recommend that every meeting you have with them, that you um, 
that you uh, record. Now, the only main difference between hiring somebody virtual is making sure they have good internet, making sure they have a good computer, good workspace. That that's really the main the main stuff. Um, other than that, I think it's I think it's very similar to hiring somebody local. And when you say, "Hey, we're looking for these core values," everything else, you know. When I think about teams that I've been a part of uh, in the past where, where I've worked in an office environment with folks, and then since I've been at Second Nature, you know, I'm, I'm the guy in Nashville. Everybody else is in Raleigh or all over the country. We've been remote and distributed across the U.S. for years and years. But there's a great team culture. And I'm curious, you know, what are you seeing for people who are working across remote and distributed teams of having that teammate-to-teammate connection where they – cohere and communicate well with each other as a team, what are the kind of things you need to think about as a business leader or things you need to put in place to help enable that? I'm sure there's way better people to answer that than me. I can just tell you what worked for us. Um, What worked for us was treating the virtual team member like a regular person, (laughs) like, like a regular employee, right? So giving them the holidays off with pay, Giving them a couple of perks, a weeks, a weeks of pay with, um, you know, a week vacation with pay, but more importantly, having them um, as as we're going through the processes and we have team meetings, having them put input and taking that input and, you know, having them having them at least feel like they can make the do the input, uh, put input in. Um, also having a track for them to, to, in, to move up in the company. I know a lot of people are doing these virtual like happy hours with their team, you know, um, across, across all, you know, the virtual team versus the team locally. Uh, I'm sure there's a lot of other things to do. We just, uh, we just had them on the video a lot. Uh, and so video was important to us. We, uh, I went down to visit them. So every, every, Christmas, you know, I had people in two areas in Mexico and I would, would, they would all travel up to one area. So that would be helpful. You build those relationships. We had a couple of them come up to the office so that we can do some training, but the more you treat them like part of the team, the the more they're going to have, the more they're going to embody those core values that you're trying to, that you're trying to get out, that you're trying to put across all your team. But I'm sure you guys at second nature probably have better solutions than I do. I mean, you guys are spread across, uh, across the fucking <laughs> world. I, I think it's great what you shared. And, you know, I, it makes me think about what I heard. Um, the CEO of a company called Automatic, uh, which was one of the first fully distributed, like across the globe companies. They have over a thousand employees, very high performing organization. And what they talked about was, hey, they had this expensive real estate in San Francisco and New York and everything else. And that that slowly shrunk down as people were working from home and distributed pre-pandemic, this was happening. And he said, basically the paradigm flipped of everybody gets together in the same location for 50 weeks a year. And then two weeks a year, they get that location freedom to go on vacation or go do kind of whatever they want. And he said, really, it's the other way around. People get that location freedom 50 weeks a year. And then a week out of the year or two weeks out of the year, we get everybody together as a team to do that kind of relationship building and trust building that lasts far beyond that week or the couple of days that everyone's getting together. And, um, you know, whether it's a week or two weeks or a few days or what have you, I, I think that having that rhythm where people can do that, 
um, people are kind of surprised how well a team can become cohesive and build trust if you think about those days as not the time to talk at people and tell them what the business plans are, where you could tell them that over Zoom any other time. It's that time to really gel together and build relationships together as a team seems to be working for folks that have made this big kind of leap uh, to the opposite paradigm. Well, I like that. Think, think about it. What Your number one expense is payroll. Your number two expense is office space, right? And so if you get rid of the office space or greatly reduce that, you know, that amount, you can have a big party with everybody and build these great relationships that you said last far beyond that. So yeah, I think it's just an investment in business. You create a line item and instead of, you know, instead of uh, office space, it's, you know, office get together or something like that. Right. And you just start building those relationships. That's, that's so great. Pete, Pete, I want to take this a, a little different angle from here. Cause earlier you talked about automation and technology. And I feel like you've got this unique perspective of having run, you know, I, I don't know if we'd call it a traditional management company, but certainly a successful, what many, what some people might call a traditional management company. And then you had this new kind of talent strategy that you deployed and pushed further and further and saw more and more success with, you know, and then you joined a company uh, like Mind for a period of time where, you know, big on technology, uh, you know, and there's a lot of technology vendors coming to this space, talking to folks, you know, I'd love to see your perspective on what are the problems that you feel like technology can solve in property management? What are the true opportunities to look for using automation as opposed to delegation and finding the right talent strategy to get things done? That's a great question. I would say that the, 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 the people who are against automation say, I don't like automation because I lose that, that relationship with my, with my clients. I would flip that and say, if I can automate eight of the 10 tasks that need to be done, that means that I have eight tasks less that I have to do, which means I have more time to build the relationships. So I truly believe automation can do a couple of things. One, it can allow you to create that gap between your revenue line um, and your expense line. Because with automation, the automation doesn't ask for raises. You don't have to increase your automate. You don't have to, you know, automation doesn't cost you very much more once you implement it. So that means that as you bring on new properties, you pro like, let's say if you had a, every time you brought on 50 properties, you had to bring in a new body. Well, with automation, now when you bring on 150 properties, now you have to bring on a new body, right? So now that, that, that chasm gets really large between revenue and uh, expenses. Secondly, because I have automation, I don't have to do all these. I'm not busy at night doing all these things because I was walking property or I was talking to an owner for two hours. You can have those long conversations. You can start having better, more in-depth conversations. And you can start asking your owner clients, are they looking to buy more properties? Where are they looking to buy more properties? Who are they hanging out with? Can they give us a referral? So you can start tapping into other resources of revenue and when you have the time to talk to an owner for two hours because they have this challenge and you're not trying to get them off the phone because you're thinking of the 15 other tasks that need to get done 
before you leave and then you have to work all night, that that's going to build that, that bond. And so I, I truly believe that you can actually build deeper relationships with automation and increase profitability with automation. My personal opinion is if you're not doing virtual assistance and automation, you're, you're, you're a dinosaur and you're going to get extinct. That's my personal opinion. Yeah. It's hard to imagine somebody competing, right? Doing things with the highest cost version of labor, right? That either technology automation process, uh, you know, or lower wage talent, you know, would be able to execute, uh, doing that consistently day in and day out. Like that's just a, that's a compound interest kind of advantage, right? <laughs> that Pete, I want to finish with this, which is, I feel like there might be a lot of people listening to this right now and say like, great, conceptually, I get it and why I would want to do it and focus on automation, focus on looking at a new talent strategy approach here, right? And how far I might be able to take it. They probably have a little more vision than they did uh, a half hour ago. Can we get, you know, tactical and practical a little bit? Like how, how does a placement service work? How, where should somebody start with these kind of things, where are the most effective places? And can you give some like examples with enough meat on the bone that somebody could leave this and say, I'm actually ready to take some action today? Yeah, I think, um, well, NARPM is always a great way to start, right? If you go to the NARPM discussion board and you ask somebody where how to find a virtual assistant, you're going to get, you know, 20 people giving you all these different places. There's, there's a lot of vendors that do placement services for NARPM. And then there's also my company. We're a NARPM vendor as well. And you can go to our website. Um, there's two ways to, to go about getting a virtual assistant. One is you find a placement service company They'll come over, they'll interview you. They'll then go away for a week or two and um, they will then find a couple of candidates. You do a final interview. They'll do a quick couple of day of training and then voila, you have a virtual assistant. They charge some money up front for that. And then what they do is they hire the virtual assistant and then they turn around and then charge you an overage. So they have kind of like a management fee, if you will, for lack of a better word, for the virtual assistant. So the virtual assistant may make $5 and you get charged $12, something like that. With a company like ours, you can go online. Uh, we do not charge anything for the employer. And you can go and browse our, you know, our database of over 4,400 virtual assistants at the time of this recording. And you can search through different, like I'm, I need Appfolio experience or propertyware experience, whatever it is. Um, if you're looking for a specific country, so you can do all these searches, you can post a job, you get matched with however you, uh, how the job is posted with how the virtual assistants created their, um, their profile. And then you can invite people to jobs or you can just sit back and get applications. So in, in, in with, Ver with VPM, how would we try to differentiate and we try to innovate? And our innovation is you can literally post something and find somebody in minutes versus weeks. And then of course you have your, your hiring process and we have a step-by-step -step walkthrough on the hiring process for, uh, for the walkthrough. So the first thing you have to realize is when, you know, when, you know, when do you need a virtual assistant, right? So you have to kind of think through when do I, am I ready for one right now? Cause you may not be. Then once you say, okay, I'm ready, what can they do? And so um, you have, there's two ways to go about it. One is they can be an assistant to your property manager and you create a job role based on that, or they can own a process and you can create a job role based on that. Once you have your job role, 
then at that point you go out there and you go search for the right virtual assistant for, for you and your team. Kind of in a nutshell. Yeah. No, thanks for walking through the process and how that can work and in a couple of ways of going about it. You know, a follow-up question that Pete to just help keep making this practical for folks would be, do you have a recommendation on like a place to start? Is it leasing? Is it maintenance? Is it accounting? Is it something else? You know, does it depend? What, what, how would somebody think about where to get started like you did of, hey, I'm going to start with these three people uh, to replace Sharon? How, what would you recommend there? I think there's two ways to go about it. So the way I did it was what was killing me the most, right? Like I, you didn't, I didn't have to, you know, track phone calls and emails to know that maintenance was beating me up. I was getting beat up pretty good. Tyson was coming into my office, you know, twice a day and just, you know, beat me up pretty good, punch me in the nose. And, um, and so I'm like, okay, I got to solve this first. Right. So whatever is the major pain point would probably be a good place to start. Your team is probably complaining about it. They're over it. You might actually be potentially ready to lose a good um, a good team member because they're getting stressed out because of something. Right. So that might be uh, really one good a good way to do it. Another good way is you can just say, man, my team needs some assistance. That's all they're looking for. We just need some assistance. And so you can say all right, we're just going to hire a virtual assistant just to be an administrative assistant and find out what are the five or seven tasks that each PM would like to take off. And then maybe you go find a vir- assistant that can take off those five or seven tasks, right? So if you're portfolio-based, there's probably four or five tasks that they can take off. Uh, another one is you can maybe the phone's ringing off the hook and you can say, I just need some people to answer the phone, Right. Um, and so I just want, you know, maybe the leasing, I need a leasing line answered, or maybe I need, um, the tenant services line answered. And so you can hire people to answer the phone that can, you know, and then you tell them that these are the top 20 questions and here's how you answer them. And that can, at least the phone is now being answered. People, you know, a a portion of people getting their questions answered, everything else gets, gets escalated. So I'd say those are probably the three ways to go about implementing a, a, a virtual assistant. I think that's helpful as a, a place to start. I, I'm going to ask, um, you know, a different question here, Pete, as we start to come to a close, which is, as you look to the future of property management, you know, where do you see things going? And, and I think a lot of people have questions. We've had people on this podcast talking about Airbnb being a potential, you know, player or threat coming into long-term property management. There's the, there's the VC back companies, you know, Hey, what, what role is Zillow going to play? Although, you know, they were making headlines for, for different reasons, uh, you know, just a few weeks ago, what do you see for, you know, the traditional company managing couple hundred units, you know, versus the people trying to grow to a thousand plus the other, companies that are out there. What do you think this is going to look like five, 10 years from now? So, you know, obviously I sold my company to a VC backed company. So that's kind of on my mind a lot. My uncle owns a food distributor company uh, in a, uh, in New York. And I bring that up because that business is very similar to that industry is very similar to ours. A lot of mom and pops. And over the last, over the last, you know, 20 years, the Cisco's of the world have been been buying 
Cisco SYSCO. I've been buying a lot of these mom and pops up and my uncle started doing that. And now he's a regional. And so I asked him what he thought. And he said, there's always going to be room for the mom and pops. And, uh, and I truly believe that in our industry, I think there's always going to be room for the mom and pops. So if you're going to 200 to, to a thousand doors, I think you're always going to have room. Now, could your, could your margins get squeezed a little bit? Absolutely. I think that's why it's important to be a professional property management company and have a lot of these ancillary fees. And you and I talked a lot about this on our podcast about the resident benefit packages, right? So I truly believe the way to stay alive is actually um, having a lot of these ancillary fees and being more of a, a, more of a property manager, a professional manager. Now, I think the guys that are going to try to grow may have some challenges um, because they might be in multiple markets with all these other big companies. I, I don't see one VC company taking this whole thing. Like I don't see mind um, which, which is one of the bigger ones right now, HRG. I, there's not going to be one player. There's enough for everybody. It's a, it's a really big pot. Um, there's every year, it seems like more and more people are using professional managers to manage their property. So I think that's going to grow as well as more, as more, um, legislation comes in. I think you're going to see more people go into the property management world, um, or, or use property managers to manage their properties. So I can tell you from being at mind that th- there is no like, solution here. These guys are still, they're trying to figure it out. Um, There's challenges. They have unique challenges that if we only operate in a few markets or one market or one state that we don't have, right? They have to operate in California and in Texas. I mean, the stuff that I want to do in Texas, they couldn't do. Um, If you're a smaller company, you can pivot. So if you see something that's unique, that's coming along the, the pipeline legislation wise and what, or whatever it is, you can pivot much faster than, than these venture capitalist guys, because they have so many people and there's so, they're so top heavy that they have to make all these decisions, flow it all the way down. And they're just like a big aircraft carrier. And we're like destroyers, right? We could, we could pivot on, on, on the side. So that doesn't mean that there's not going to be any challenges for us as, as, you know, property management companies. And again, I just think the squeezing of the, of the management fee, I would, I, I truly believe at some point, somebody, and I know Scott Brady on California is working on this. Somebody smarter than me is going to figure out how you can actually do a $0 management fee. And you can have a, a la carte. Now the hard thing with a la carte is you don't have the automation Right. So as as technology gets better, the PM softwares get better, you might be able to a la carte a lot of these charges. So when this happens, it gets charged. When I, instead of like having to make sure your accounting person charges everything, that that would be a game changer. I would love to to see that. How think about it? Think about the marketing on that. Zero dollar management fee. You think you get some clients? Oh man. You know, we talked about this in a future property management panel and yeah, there's already a couple people out there trialing this or a version of it, but yeah, you, you think about the value proposition of basically being able to say, all right, who do you think's going to manage your property better, right? Because it's $0 if you do it, it's $0 if I do it. Uh, who's got the better process? Who's got the better systems? Who's got the better tools? Who's got the better team, et cetera? The, handles, the attention, the focus, the knowledge, the expertise, all that. Um, the relationships. 
That's right. You know, it could accelerate things towards that 100% professionally managed future. So it's definitely interesting, something we're looking at. I, I love what you said about, hey, this isn't, a mar- I mean, the market for single family rentals before we even get into small multi, right, I, I think is something in the neighborhood of 16, 17 million homes just in the U.S. And so, you know, <laughs> it's uh, somebody could manage a million homes, right, and not even have 10% market share. And it's going to be a while before somebody's managing a million homes, yeah, right? Even the VC so. back guys are like, they want to get to a hundred thousand. That's, that's the goal. hundred thousand. Right. When I did a, um, I did a survey at NARPM in Houston in 2015. And, uh, I basically said, we basically managed about 23,000 homes. We didn't even hit 1% of all the homes that were available that were that were uh, owner that were investor owned uh, investor owned homes, and we were the num- we were the all the all the property managers in Houston combined twenty three thousand, and we weren't even one percent. It's a big number out there. A lot of opportunity, a lot of opportunity for sure. Um, Pete, I want to do this. Just is there anything else? Something we didn't talk about that you feel like would be valuable for professional property managers to hear about specifically from you before we end the recording today? I, you know, I, I would just say one thing is um, if you're super stressed and you are thinking about selling, um, solve the challenge first. If you can solve the challenge, you may, you may not want to sell and maybe, put, maybe you can put somebody in your place to run your business. Um, because if you can make it an ATM where you, it's not stressful for you and you can you know, work four hours a day or four hours a week on it. And you have somebody that you, you know, you partner with and put in that CEO chair. It's, it's nice to have that ATM. Um, And so maybe it's not worth selling at that point. Just a food for thought. No, I, I love what you said. And so many people that listen to this podcast are asking, how do I go from having a full-time job in property management, right? To really having a property management business. And I want to tie this back to something you said earlier that I thought was a great point of a lot of times the gopher perception of the property manager is centered around, hey, there's a lot of nitty gritty work that has to get done to manage property well. And a lot of people look at that's who I'm hiring. That's what I'm hiring, right? Is is this, uh, you know, tactical work that has to get done it's different when you say, no, 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 you're hiring my business, right? And you're hiring an entire team here. You're hiring my processes. You're hiring my expertise, more like the attorney uh, that you were referencing earlier as an example. Financial saying, planner comes to mind. The financial planner, right? The asset manager as opposed to the property manager. And so, you know, th- th- that's a perspective that I think we'll see more and more people gravitating towards and finding ways to work for. I appreciate your words of encouragement for people to, to stick with that and try to solve those challenges to get themselves into that position and really appreciate the practical ideas and, and proven strategies uh, you know, that you shared today about how people can do that through talent and automation. So Pete, thanks again, man. Thanks for being with us. I'm looking forward to the next time we get to talk. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. That's all for this episode of The Triple Win. Thanks go out to Carol Housel and Jeff Tucker for everything they do to put these episodes together. And we want to remind everyone that you can find more resources, upcoming events, a link to our private Facebook group where the conversation continues 
in between these episodes with other professional property managers. All of that you can find at rbp.secondnature.com. Again, that's rbp.secondnature.com. And until next time, keep transforming what it means to be in professional property management by finding and applying your next triple win. We want it to be true that every time we see you, we see a better version of you and your business. With that, cheers.